It's been a good week. Um, and, I, and I have to be perfectly honest with you, this, this message has, has been uh, chiseled out over some time. And uh, um, planning to go back to Ephesians, where we've, as I've shared with you over, it's been now since August of 2008, and we're still in the middle of the first chapter, but that's okay. Um, but we're going back there today, and in fact, this was the same text that uh, Scott was in. Drawn to something in the in this scripture we're going to look at, we're going to we're going to spend some time in another place besides Ephesians. But I want to start there and kind of do a little bit of a recap of where we were last time. And uh, what we'll do is um, kind of walk back through that. Um, if you would turn with me to Ephesians. One, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we require possession of it to the praise of his glory. Now, were the first few sermons, we looked at this incredible message to us here and that we are chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. And I've kind of reached a point where in sharing this, I used to kind of walk around this a little bit because people have such a hard time with this God who works out this plan of his because it interferes with ours. I thought it was very appropriate last week in, in, in Scott sharing about, you know, what are we doing with our time? Where are our passions and what do we worship? What are we spending our time doing? That we see God's plan is almost an intrusion on us. And we so easily want to set that aside and go about our own passions. But here we're told we've been chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. Not only that, I think we're chosen to be in Christ but because of this, because we are in Christ, we're going to stand before God holy and blameless. We've all seen that in love, he predestined us as adoption, as sons through Jesus Christ. And that this was according to his purpose, his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. 
this could be maybe part of what is the church, part of that series, but it's really kind of who is the church, or at least who part of that is. As I, as I shared with you last time, um, there's, this, there's this tendency as we walk through Scripture, you know, we, we grab these things and we want to say, ah, that's me, that's me, that's me. I want you this morning, as I asked you last time, to look at this and, and see God in this, see his purpose and his plan in this. There's this tendency to make this about us. And while it has everything to do with us, what we're seeing is God, his purpose and his plan in Christ Jesus. Last time I shared with you my, my, my prayer as I started was that you would be given ears to hear. And um, you're going to see me shuffle things around a little bit this morning. And I'm going to explain that just because I basically had two sermons prepared. And been back and forth and God has done, uh, uh, has worked me over quite a bit on this. But I want you to, I want you to hear something. Even in God's providence, even in placing you in Christ before the foundation of the world. Listen, listen to this. I want you to hear, this is just after Jesus has shared the parable of the sower. You don't have to flip there, I just want you to hear this. After telling this parable, his disciples asked this question. In verse 10 it says, Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you... It has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. It's been given to you. But to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing, they do not see. And hearing, they do not hear. Nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see. And did not see it. And to hear what you hear. And did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom. And does not understand it. The evil one comes. And snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground. This is the one who hears the word. And immediately receives it with joy. Yet has no root in himself. But endures it for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises. On account of the word. Immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word. And it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields. In one case, a hundredfold. In another, sixty. In another, thirty. Let's pray. Father, this morning as your word testifies to who you are, your purpose and your plan in Christ for us, for our benefit, for our blessing, Father, I pray you would give us ears to hear. 
and hearts that perceive and understand what we have in Christ, what has been given to us, the full measure. Father, bless us this morning from inside. This insight from your word that grows us in faith and trust. Father, we thank you for Jesus and his finished work on the cross. We pray in his name. Amen. We've gone down through verse uh, 6 and want to pick up in verse 7. Um, I'm not going to go far here because I was just really kind of captured right there uh, and uh, wanted to spend some more time looking at this idea of redemption. But look at verse 7. Speaking of, a, of this beloved, which we know to be Christ, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. So there's this plan of God he set forth in Christ. It's according to his purpose, for his purpose, his plan, for us to have redemption in Christ. First two words there, in him, in Christ. Uh, you've heard, I think, that preached and talked about many times, especially from this pulpit, what we have in Christ, that benefit. And the first thought for many of us, uh, who is that? Who is in him? Who is the we? In him we have this redemption. Who is this that's in him? I think we quickly move away from verse 4, which says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Our desire is for us to grab hold, take hold of this. And unfortunately, I think a lot of times it's as we see the benefit for us. But this redemption, literally the redemption, this redemption we're talking about is the redemption. It's a present thing. It says here we have it, we possess it. May not have realized all of it, but we have it in Christ. This word in the Greek is apolutrosis. It says a lot about this redemption we have. Apo, the word, speaks to separation. And it's a separation of a part from the whole. And trying to reconcile that, you know, I've always pictured this redemption, this salvation we have. We're kind of, we're outside here. You know, we're just, we're um, somehow getting into this thing over here that's God and all the blessings that are part of that. But you see, Apo here is a part that's separated. This redeemed, this ransom, which is this other part, this lutrosis. This is the price for redeeming. This is the ransom to be paid. Is to bring the part back to the whole. 
And so being chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world begins to show us a picture. Those in Christ, chosen in him before the foundation of the world, separated by sin, and now being redeemed. Romans 3.21. Might want to jot that down. Don't have to go there. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption of that is in Christ Jesus. When God put forward as a propitiation by his blood, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith, this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. Passed over former sins, does that sound familiar? The sins remained. There was forbearance on the part of God. Pass over. Now things are being reconciled. The righteousness of God is what? Is whom? Jesus. bound by the law. The law bears witness to him. So what is the righteousness of Christ? The, right, the righteousness of God it is Jesus Christ. And who is it for? What did we just read? Who is this for? To be received by faith. Right? All who believe without distinction. For all who will believe have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You believe that? I almost want you to answer audibly. Yet they are justified by his gift of grace, redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Christ endured our punishment. He was a substitute, propitiation, by his shed blood. This was to show God's righteousness in dealing with sin that he had passed over. As we study through Ephesians, we're going we're to keep hitting this theme of this mystery that's being revealed. And this mystery being revealed is a picture of, of God's purpose and plan for man, things, and earth but also for things in heaven. Sometimes we, we have a small view. We have just this view of us. And that's a good thing. I'm going to spend some time there actually this morning. That's where we're going to, we're going to, we're going to take a look at this piece of this redemption. But don't forget the whole. His plan 
is to unite all things in Christ, as we read, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. So in the middle of that is our story. It, it, it dawned on me that this is the last Sunday of the month, typically a mobile worship Sunday. And where I'm going to take us is we're going to, we're going to have a Moabite worship, Moabite worship. I didn't catch the... I know that wasn't... Boy, there's nervous tension here. We're going to spend some time in Ruth this morning. Um, I want to show you this picture of all things. This, um, our story. I think most of our story. Most of you who are sitting here this morning. Thanks for laughing, by the way. We're guilty of sin under the law. And we're lacking in relation to God's glory. We're very prone to worship our own passions. And I think if you were listening, as Scott shared last week, um, we're prone to be idolaters. We're also guilty. If you remember back to Ben talking about this table... that God has provided. We're very guilty of seeing God's providence is not sufficient. That perceived need that we have beyond what God has provided that causes us to be idolaters. So I want to tell you, I want to tell you a story this morning. I want to walk through this. And there's always a tendency in a story for you to start plucking things out as a story is being shared. Oh, that's me. That's me in the story. This is about me. I want you to hear about God and his redemption and his plan for redemption. So I'm going to ask you to try to refrain from, hey, you know, seeing you there, but you will see you. <laughs> but as I share this, I, wa I want you to hear this story. It, it, it's, it's rich in its demonstration of a holy God and his provision. You don't have to turn to Ruth. In fact, I'd almost ask you not to I kind of want you to I know what I shared with you earlier I mean some people that hits pretty for many of you who have walked with us for some time it's, it's the normal course okay and I understand God's purpose and plan sometimes seems so hard to capture and grab and understand all the implications of that but as I read this story I want you to listen more than anything I want you to have your heads up and kind of just listen the story and what unfolds and see this picture of redemption. Then you'll get more about worship later. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech. And the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. Already there's this picture of a famine. We've learned from the text here, this is in the time of Judges, okay? 
This is a time when Israel, they're really just kind of marching to their own drumbeat. And God has to send these judges to tune them back up. But they're kind of following their own passions, doing their own thing. They've moved away from God. And that famine is a result of that. But you see, this family here, they're going to move away. They've got this famine. And I think about us, you know, given this condition. Hey, I, I lost a job. I can't make ends meet. I can't. And there is a sense here. God can't provide here. I'm going to sojourn. I'm going to head out somewhere else. So he takes his wife and his two sons and they head out to Moab. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. So this tells you who they are. They're from the tribe of Judah. They're from the nation of Israel. Okay, these are Israelites. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. Wow, now this provider has gone into this country looking for food just to make it. And now he's dead. So here's Naomi. She's left her two sons. And these two sons, this is in verse 4, these took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Chilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Wow. What would our temptation be right there? You're going to hear it. Then she arose, this being Naomi, with her daughters-in-law, to return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. There's nothing here. Man, I'm at, I'm, I've lost a husband. I've lost my two sons. This is my provision. What am I going to do? And she hears about, hey, there's food back home in Israel. So she set out from the place where she was left, where she was, with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. And if I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, you would therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. It's good that she recognizes that God's in the middle of this. Maybe she understands there's some judgment there. But she's saying, listen, y'all don't want to go with me. What I've got to go back to 
I can't make you any. This, this means you may not marry. You may not have anything. Looks pretty bleak. I thought about Ben sharing about the promised land and how it looked kind of desolate. You know, if we're going by sight, we stop. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people, to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people should be my people and your God, my God. My thought there as I'm reading is, how, how does Ruth know about this God? Surely Naomi, maybe, has, just, has shared about this God and his provision at some point. And I'm thinking, you know, what is our prospects? But she's saying, no, I want to go with you. And not only that, listen, where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. She's saying, I'm, I'm, I'm moving away from my people. I'm moving away from the gods that my people follow. I'm going to follow you. And I'm going to become a part of your people. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? Naomi was somebody who was known. She's back in town. And everybody knows about it. She said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. There's Naomi. Don't even call me Naomi. I'm bitter. I went out full, which is interesting. She went out full. They went out outside of God's provision here to here, but that was full. And now God's taken all this away from me. I'm, I'm empty. I have nothing. And I, I guess Ruth is nothing. Hmm, let's see. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. This is important that he was a relative. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the fields after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Limelech. She just happened to. She just happened to. 
Boaz, a landowner, when, during the harvest, what they did was harvest the whole field except for the corners. And the corners were left for aliens, strangers, and widows. No doubt, when Limelech and his family left, they sold their land. Probably how they got some of the goods to go. So they were, they were in this position, they didn't really have land, but they have this relative who has some land. And if you understand what a kinsman redeemer is in the word, you'll understand why Naomi says, hey, this might be a field. It's probably somewhere in here. Go out here. So Ruth goes to the field and she's gleaning, which means she's gathering. And typically in these fields, the women were the ones that were doing the reaping and the men were doing the, the, the harvesting together, the putting, creating the sheaves, the groups. You know, they were pushing it all together. And they would glean afterwards. So here she is. She's gleaning. And she just happens to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who is the clan of Elimelech, okay, in the family. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Okay, because it's set here, and it's a story out of the Bible, we don't think much of that. But imagine your boss coming into your office and saying, The Lord be with you. And we think that's so strange. Do we carry the Lord with us into our workplace? Just a side note. Then Boaz said to this young man, so I'm just saying, Boaz is his man. This is a man of God. You can tell him by the way he treats his workers. He blesses them. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is a young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. <coughs> then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one. But keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Listen to this response. Because what he's saying is, yeah, I know this outer part is for the aliens and strangers and widows, but he's saying, come in where my women are reaping and my men are watching over them. Come into my field. This is her response. Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. He's gotten a story. He knows the story of Ruth. And how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done. A full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. 
Then he said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me. And then she said, excuse me. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. They're supping. This is an alien, a stranger, a widow, a foreigner. He's saying, come sit at the table. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied. And she had some left over. And when she rose to glean, Boaz instructed her, his young men, saying, let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. Have, has access to all and also pull out some of the bundles for her and leave it, leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. Put extra out. So she gleaned in the field until eating then she beat out what she had gleaned and it was about an eve half of, of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over, over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite, Ruth the Moabite, said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young woman, lest in, the, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that, may, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young women, with whose young women you, you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Naomi's got a plan. Watch, therefore, and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. I don't know about y'all. When I read that the first time, I'm like, oh, boy. What is Naomi trying to set up here? I did. It's interesting. I even, this is one of those, man, I went to some commentaries and I thought, man, I need to, I need to get a handle on this because it sure seems like Naomi's kind of conniving here. She's kind of setting this thing up. She sees Boaz. He's a relative. According to the law, a relative can be a kinsman redeemer. What that means is if 
just as they sold their land and left, someone in the family could help get that back, could buy that back. Also, if, say, there was a widow, there's another provision in the law, if there's a widow, if there's a younger brother, he's to marry that widow to carry on the name. So Naomi's got this in mind. That's why she refers to him as a redeemer, a kinsman redeemer. She's got this in mind. And so she's saying, okay, after this guy's been drinking and eating and he's all satisfied and he lays down, I want you to go lay down on the threshing floor. And the threshing floor was usually an area, it was actually usually in the field that they'd kind of flatten out. They got this big roller and they'd flatten it out. And this is where they would, you know, pitch the stuff in the air and it's winnowing, seeing that fall out. I learned some cool stuff about this anyway. But... This is what went on. This was this open area. Sometimes there would be many people there. Sometimes, and it might have been in this case, the landowner is there, and he's doing this work, and he's by himself. And uh, so I'm seeing, she says, when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. Some commentary said this is kind of a normal... Um, way to say, hey, I'm interested in you. Um, some saw it as very forward. Like, hey, this could be a, a, could lead to a bad thing. But listen, there's something that Ruth adds in here I think is really, is really key. So when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Pretty quickly, she said, This is why I'm here. Naomi didn't say, tell him. She said, go lay and he'll tell you what to do. Now listen. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. She's gone to her redeemer. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Uh-oh. Changing plans. He says, remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you're wearing and hold it out. So she held it out and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Getting to the end here. 
Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. This is a person first in line, nearest in kin. So he had first right to redeem, to be the Redeemer. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. Pretty significant he calls ten elders. He's saying, I want, this is important. A lot of these matters could be settled with a group of three elders. Ten elders usually meant this is a big deal and this is going to be very public. He took the ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, remember this is Naomi, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell, it, tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. I'm next in line. And he said, I will redeem it. Oh. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Uh-oh. Listen to what the Redeemer says. I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. I'm all about the land. In fact, it's probably going to be a good investment for me. But this thing that comes along with it, see, there's this other thing. This widow in the family, actually the heir to this land, who were the sons of Elimelech. Ah, there's someone here to be redeemed. Just so happens this is a foreigner, a Moabite woman. This redeemer is thinking, mm, wow. My inheritance, the things given to me by the law. This is the law that work. Is the law able to redeem us? What the law is unable to do. Listen. Now this was the custom in forward times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the land of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and Malon. Also Ruth, the Moabite, the stranger, the foreigner, the Gentile, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the, the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah. Who were Rachel and Leah? Who together built up the house of Israel. Wow. 
May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, who Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nurturer of your old age, for your daughter-in-law who loves you is more to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Now this is Ruth who has given birth, who for ten years was barren. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse. The father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Amenadab. And Menadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. Wow. Matthew 1 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. Son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar. Mm. And Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth and Obed the father of Jesse and Jesse the father of David the king verse 16 and Jacob the father of Joseph the husband of Mary of whom Jesus was born is called Christ Matthew one twenty. Joseph's trying to get his head around everything that's going on. We've come from Ruth all the way into something we're celebrating this past week. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people, his people, from their sins. Ephesians 2.13 says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. 
So who's the we in this redemption we have? Those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's flip back over to Ephesians if you flipped away. Let's read that again so we get it. Beginning in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption of sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. Not the law, his grace. He predestined us for adoption of sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Purpose of his will. To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Let's pray. Father, again this morning, I just pray. For ears to hear, hearts to perceive and understand your word. Your purpose and plan set forth in Christ. Your providence, Father. Your provision. Father, that we can be satisfied in it to overflowing. we don't seem to have provision where things are desperate and we seem without hope Father I pray this morning that our our hearts have been brought to a place where we can praise you for your glorious grace. Father, in this short story, we see this example of redemption. A foreshadowing, Father, a picture of what you have in store for us. We have that redemption in Christ. We look forward To being in your presence, holy 
and blameless. Receiving an inheritance that's wasn't ours, but we've been redeemed. Father, I pray we're satisfied at your table. Satisfied to overflowing. That the finished work of your son we see is sufficient. We don't try to add more. We don't look for more. pray their lives are lived out in gratefulness to a holy God with a holy plan to redeem his people. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. In the next few minutes we're going to observe the, the Lord's Supper. Um, I pray that you're satisfied with the finished work of Christ. The juice and the bread we have are reminders of the body broken for us, the blood shed for us, the redemption we have in that. We're going to have you come up as families. Um, fathers, men, lead your families. If you're here by yourself and you want to join a family, that's, that's fine. Uh, some of you want to get together as a group, come up, that's fine as well. But I pray that uh, you'll be remembering and worshiping uh, as you partake. This is for the redeemed, those in Christ. Um, if you're not in that place, if you're not a worshiper this morning, um, I'd ask you to refrain from taking it. I pray that our redemption in Christ is in full view. I just want to share some words of encouragement out of First Peter with you before we go. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judge, judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your fathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your purpose, your plan, your finished work in Christ, our redemption, our salvation, our inheritance in Christ. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. You're dismissed.